Welcome to the Chi Alpha UNC podcast. We're excited that you've decided to stop by. Today, we continue our series on the parables of Jesus. For all who have ears, let them hear. So today, Duncan continues our series by looking at the parables of the lost sheep, the lost coin, and the prodigal son. You are never too far for Jesus to come after you. This message was recorded on October 5th, 2023 at Gunter Hall at UNC. Please join us every Thursday at 7 p.m. at the UNC campus. All are welcome. Come as you are, leave as a new creation. What's up, Chi Alpha? Oh, man. Oh, boy. George, man, thanks for leading us in worship. Joe, bro, that was awesome. Joe, Joe sings like an angel. <laughs> Joe is an angel. <laughs> That's right. Um, well, what's up, guys? It's good to see y'all. Um, got a big buzz going. You want to just mute all the channels except for this one there, Christian? I think I'll get rid of the buzz. Well, uh, welcome. It's good to see you guys. Um, man, I, I don't know if you caught all those announcements, but uh, man, we're not going to be in here next week. Yeah, agape feast. Come on, that's exciting, right? How many? How many uh, came to agape feast last year? Yeah, we had like way more food than we knew what to do with, right? So we ended up bringing like uh, a ton of food home, and it was awesome. So the different small groups brought different dishes, and uh, y'all make sure to sign up. I'm gonna turn this monitor off. Hold on, give me a sec. Ugh. That's that's a bad. There we go. Whoa, that's what. That's way better. All right. And then uh, this Saturday, we got the Bronson shots. Let's go. All right. It's just like, it's like the month of food, right? Amen. Yeah. I mean, winter's coming. We need to fatten up. It's time, right? Some of us more than others. I get it. I get it. All right. <laughs> um, hey, before we get into the word tonight, this past uh, Saturday, uh, Mark and CJ got married. Uh, put, put that. Look. Look at those guys. They are they are in they are in Disneyland right now, uh, having fun. <laughs> so I don't I don't know when they're going to be back or if they'll ever be back. I don't know. But uh, let me just encourage you guys that uh, man. I also uh, married a gal I met in Chi Alpha, and uh, we've been married for almost 16 years now, which is pretty awesome. Uh, so I mean, it, you know, if you're looking, this is a great place to look. I'm just saying, you know, <laughs> like. Uh, Nobody, nobody start elbowing the, uh, yeah, some of the guys are like, oh, shoot, oh, shoot, right? <laughs> but, uh, uh, all right, well, hey, tonight we are going to continue in our series on the parables of Jesus, yeah? All right, Holiday did an incredible job last week, right? Man, there were four salvations last week. I mean, come on, yeah? It was awesome. So, um, we are going to be in this series all the way through Christmas break, and so, uh, you know, we'll have other things going on throughout. Uh, not only do we have Gape Feast next week, uh, next week, but in November we have Missions Week, and so something that we do in Chi Alpha is we take mission trips around the world, and so the, the second week in November, is a little spoiler, but second week in November, we're going to be revealing some mission trips and uh, we're going to have a guest speaker that night. I won't say who it is yet, but uh, some of you have actually met him before. But it's going to be 
It is going to be awesome. So tonight, let's continue in the parables. We are going to be looking at the parables of the lost sheep, the lost coin, and the prodigal son. All right. Uh, Raise your hand. You've heard these parables before, right? Yeah. You Bible thumpers. Look at all you Bible thumpers. All right. So uh, we're going to get into some scripture tonight. You notice by now we really love the Bible, right? In Chi Alpha, we believe that the Bible is God's word. It is God's revelation to mankind. And we believe in it so much that we believe that if you hear other voices that contradict the word of God, we believe that those voices you heard were not God, right? Everything that we hear, everything that we do must be tested against the word of God. So uh, it's an amazing book. If you don't have one, come find me. I'll give you one for free. Uh, There's also free apps you can download. Just fall in love with Scripture. Uh, Scripture, by the way, is... Uh, is our daily bread, right? So when you go days without reading Scripture, you're going to spiritually starve yourself, right? So, so I want to encourage you guys to be men and women of the Word of God. So uh, if you have your Bibles, open up to Luke chapter 15. Luke 15. So what's up, man? It's good to see you. All right, Luke 15. Uh, you can read along with me. It's going to be up on the screen. Uh, so feel free to read along. This is, this is the Word of God. Verse 1. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Then Jesus told them this parable. Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Doesn't he leave the ninety-nine in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. He then calls his friends and neighbors and together, together and says, Rejoice with me. I have found my lost sheep. I tell you in the same way, there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. Verse 8, Or suppose a woman has ten silver coins and loses one. Doesn't she light a lamp and sweep the house and search carefully until she finds it? And when she finds it, she calls her friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me, I have found my lost coin. In the same way, I tell you, there is rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. So, Father, we just uh, we come to you tonight, Lord, as men and women who are hungry to meet with you. So, God, I pray, Lord, whatever you want to speak to us tonight through your word, I pray that it would be spoken. Lord, we, we cast aside all other voices, all distractions, in the name of Jesus, and would you speak to us tonight through your word. It's in your name we pray, amen. So we'll stop there for now, and let's, let's go over what we just read. A little background, first of all. When you study the Bible, one of the most important things you can do is study the context which with, in, in which this was written, right? Because if we study the wrong context, we start cults, okay? <laughs> all right, so always study the context in which something was written. So at this point in the Gospels, Jesus had already begun to minister in public. Imagine with me Jesus. And he's walking around city to city to city. He's performed many miracles by this point, right? He's healed the sick. Um, he's, he's been at the temple by this point. He's been teaching at the temple. And people are like, who is this guy, <laughs> right? And he claims to be a rabbi. He claims to be from God. And yet he's somebody who constantly is hanging out with sinners. Ugh. He hangs out with sinners. And this is such a controversy 
The reason this is a controversy is because teachers of the law, teachers of the word of God, were not allowed to hang out with sinners. They had to be what they considered clean. In order to teach the word of God, they had to be clean. And so they wouldn't hang out with sinners. And so it was such a controversy when people, especially religious leaders, would find Jesus hanging out with just normal people. <laughs> right? The Bible says sinners. I like to say just, just normal people. <laughs> right? Because that's what we all are. Right? So, so Jesus' message, by the way, uh, you know, it, this gets confusing a lot, but his message, <laughs> you can grab it, Rachel, if you want. Uh, Jesus' message centers on one topic, and it is this. It is the kingdom of God. Jesus is everything he taught, everything that he revealed about the Father centered around this concept, and it was the kingdom of God. We talked a little bit about this a couple weeks ago. Do you remember last time I was up here? We talked about how Jesus is king, and there is no king but Christ, right? And there is no kingdom without a king, right? Yeah, so we've already kind of talked about this flashbacks to a couple weeks ago. The kingdom, by the way, is territorial. But more importantly, the kingdom of God rules and reigns in people's hearts. See, God is supposed to be seen as our king, and therefore he's supposed to rule and reign in our lives. So Jesus's message was his dominion over things that already belong to him. But this kingdom can be a little bit confusing. I mean, think about it. We have governmental authorities. We have different kinds of authorities over. Sometimes we have we have parental authorities, right, or guardianship. And these authorities don't always agree with each other. Sometimes we see what's coming out of politics and our government, and it seems to contradict the word of God so, so often, right? So how are we supposed to balance these things? And this was Jesus' message, is that all of the law and all of the prophets that had come before him, everything hung on this message, and it was the kingdom of God. So in this scene... Jesus is with the crowds. There's tax collectors. By the way, that's another way of saying just an awful person, <laughs> right? <laughs> tax collector. How many, how many like paying taxes? <laughs> yeah. They were like the most despised people in all of the land, right? They're, in fact, and they were Jews who collected taxes from their fellow Jews on behalf of their oppressors, <laughs> right? So it was like these guys were the most hated people. So Jesus is here, and he's, the crowds are around him, and he's hanging out with tax collectors and sinners. And there are religious leaders in this scene. And they're the ones mumbling. And they're saying, they're saying, this guy, who does he think he is? He's claiming to have authority to teach the word of God, but he's hanging out with those who are unclean. This is a big deal. So Jesus is shaking up the religious order. And he answers why he's eating with tax collectors and sinners with a few parables. Now remember Holiday kind of explained parables last week, right? You have this infinite kingdom of God, and if we try to understand these things with our finite little brains, our brains will just melt out of our ears, right? There's no way we could comprehend the vastness of God. There's no way we could understand his perfect love for us, right? You guys with me, right? And so he teaches in parables so dummies like me can understand, all right? So, the overall theme here in the parables that he gives is God's love for people. You can write that down. His, the theme here is God's love for people. Whether, by the way, those people are clean, whether those people are dirty, whether those people are holy, or whether those people are sinners, 
we know that God loves them all. And he is willing to do anything within his character to save his people. So, let's get into what we read. He starts out by giving the parable of the lost sheep. So you can put that back up there. It says this. Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Doesn't he leave the 99 in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. Then he calls his friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me, I have found my lost sheep. I tell you in the same way that there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. So in this parable, we see the heart of God is the heart of a shepherd. The heart of a shepherd. It's the, it's the same graphic that's on our Chi Alpha t-shirts, right? On the back of this, now 15 bucks, by the way. <laughs> Pretty awesome, right? <laughs> Don't miss that, man. 15 bucks. Let's go. Okay. It's the same graphic we have on our t-shirt. Jesus is comparing himself with a shepherd. He is the one that goes after his sheep. Now, uh, this idea of a shepherd and his flock, this may be kind of hard for us to understand in our modern age because, honestly, in, in the United States, we don't see a lot of shepherds, do we? We see, like, maybe here in the east, right, here in eastern Colorado, if you especially if you go up to Eaton. And actually, there's a huge sheep ranch in Eaton. Uh, it smell, you can smell it from a couple miles away, right? Um, we see ranches. We see ranches with lots of sheep. But a shepherd is something totally different. Um, a shepherd moves flocks of sheep around the land. Right. And there's no fences. There's no ranches. This shepherd moves hundreds and hundreds of sheep across vast distances of land. And in the Gospel of John, by the way, Jesus goes into this metaphor a lot deeper, a lot deeper. Jesus is a shepherd in John chapter 10. You can put this up there. Jesus is talking. He says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. The hired hand is not the shepherd and does not own the sheep. So when he sees the wolf coming, he abandons the sheep and runs away. Then the wolf attacks the flock and scatters it. The man runs away because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. But I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep, and my sheep know me. Just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. I have other sheep that are not of this sheep pen. I must bring them also. They too will listen to my voice. And there shall be one flock and one shepherd. Ooh, that'll, ooh, man. Wow, did you catch that? <laughs> that just hit me. Okay. Verse 17, the reason my father loves me is that I lay down my life only to take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and authority to take it up again. This command I received from my father. So this, this relationship between a shepherd and a sheep is actually a really special one. So not only does the shepherd move the flock across the country, but the shepherd is also, uh, he's tasked with protecting his flock. Right? So imagine you're out in the wild with a hundred sheep and there are wolves about. Your job is not only to move the sheep across the country, but it's to protect them. See, sheep are, are hot commodities. <laughs> yeah, they're, they're delicious. Yeah, that's true. You can, uh, you can uh, get wool from them, right? They actually, at, th at this point in time, this was actually a huge source of money. And so you, you had to protect the flocks, right? And these shepherds would carry weapons with them because wolves would come around. So they, they had to be willing to put their own lives in danger to protect their flocks. In fact, a good shepherd would be willing to lay down his life for his flock. 
This isn't somebody that just tends to a flock, as we read, because the per- people that just help are hired hands. And when the wolves come, they all run like cowards. <laughs> but the shepherd is the one that puts his own life at risk. And by the way, sheep are really dumb. Uh, sheep are really stupid. In fact, uh, like, it, uh, you know, they, they really, we really have done the studies. Like they have very, very small IQs, and they, they move in flocks. And so if the head sheep is about to head off a cliff, the shepherd has to stop it because if that sheep goes over the cliff, the other sheep will just walk over the cliff after it. They don't even think about it. In fact, there was this video I saw circling. Put this video up there. I saw this circling. Have you all seen this one? This is so good. Y'all watch this. This is me, by the way. I'm the, I'm the sheep. Watch this. Here I go. Duncan's free. Here, here he goes. Oh, dang it. <laughs> there goes the sheep. There it is. Yep. Sheep are stupid. Okay. <laughs> and I think that it's great that Jesus refers to us as sheep. Right. Humbling, to say the least. Right. Sometimes we get a little bit too puffed up on ourselves and we think, man, I'm a big deal. <laughs> you know, no, you're just a sheep. <laughs> right. But but Jesus loves you anyway. Jesus loves you anyway. Can you think of some of the really stupid things, by the way? Maybe we don't fall in ditches, but we get into really stupid things, don't we? We tend to wander astray. We tend to get distracted by the stupidest things. And we get separated from the flock, and Jesus has to come after us, right? Any stupid TikTok trend or social media buzz, any kind of celebrity. Man, I can't stand watching the NFL right now. I'm so sick of seeing Taylor Swift, man. I'm sick of it. I I didn't turn on the TV to watch her, you know? It's like every other play, they're just, oh, wow, she's clapping again. Wow, look at that. You know, we get so caught up in celebrities. We get caught up in, by the way, sports teams. We do. We get totally distracted from following Jesus and we wander astray. We get addicted to drugs. We become alcoholics. We become addicted to pornography and sexual pleasures. We become narcissists. We become the center of our own worlds and we can't get enough of looking at our own face. And all the time we forget we're just dumb sheep. We're just sheep. And when we wander astray, we have somebody that protects us. You guys with me? We have somebody that comes after us. Verse 5, and when he finds the sheep, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. Then he calls his friends and neighbors together and says, rejoice with me. I have found my lost sheep. Do you see how the shepherd comes off after us when we wander astray? He does this to keep us safe. He does this to keep us from harm. He brings us back on his own shoulders with his own strength. And there is great rejoicing in heaven. Last week after holiday preached, uh, four of you stood up and gave your lives to Jesus. And in that moment, the shepherd found all four of you, put, put you on his shoulders and carried you home. And there was great rejoicing in heaven. Wow. In other words, Jesus risked it all to come after you. He explains this by saying in verse 7, I tell you that in the same way there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 persons who do not need to repent. 
So do you see how necessary this parable is to understand how Jesus sees us? Without this parable, we, it would be easy for us to think that if we wander astray, Jesus is going to forget about us. Why would Jesus care about me if I wander astray? He's got 99 others that are good sheep that follow his voice. If I wander astray, what care does he have for me? Do you see why parables are important? <laughs> Do you see how easy it would be to fall into that thinking that think, well, I'm just one face in a crowd. Why does God have time for me? Ooh, <laughs> right? I'm not religious. Uh-oh, right? I, I don't necessarily believe the same thing these guys believe. Jesus has no time for me. I don't identify as a Christian. Jesus has no time for me. Do you see how this parable breaks all that down? He comes after the sheep when they wander astray. You see, this is what happened to me 22 years ago this month. 22 years ago this month, as a freshman in college, I gave my life to Jesus because I had been going to small group where my small group leader had time for me. My small group leader wasn't just satisfied with the guys he had. This isn't in my notes. Maybe this is speaking to some small group leaders. Jesus went after those who were lost. I was sought after by a guy named Daniel Chilton. And he came after me and said, Duncan, you need Jesus. And I became a Christian October 20th of that year. This is the love that Jesus has for us. By the way, if you're worried about your friends, put it in the hands of Jesus. If you're worried about your lost family members, put it in the hands of the shepherd. Did you notice in the parable, it was the shepherd that went after the sheep, right? That doesn't mean that we don't have responsibility. It just means we aren't the ones that save. It is Jesus who is the one who saves. We can't take any credit for people's salvation, right? Let us stop boasting in our numbers. Let us stop boasting. Let's stop comparing our small groups, right? We can't take credit for it. Jesus has to get, because he's the shepherd. He gets the credit. Okay, let's move on. The lost coin. Here we have Jesus trying to explain why he's hanging out with sinners, remember? Because the religious leaders are like, why are you hanging out with dirty people? <laughs> You're supposed to be a teacher of the law. You're supposed to be clean. And Jesus responds with a second parable, the parable of the lost coin. Put this up there, verse 8. Or suppose a woman had ten silver coins and loses one. Doesn't she light a lamp, sweep the house, and search carefully until she finds it? And when she finds it, she calls her friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me, I have found my lost coin. In the same way, I tell you, there is rejoicing in the presence of the angels over God, of God over one sinner who repents. Now, if we were to just read this very quickly and move on, we would really miss something. I mean, the loss of one coin to us in 2023 is a pretty small thing, <laughs> right? I lost a coin. I will never see it again because I'm not going to look for it, <laughs> right? Who even carries coins anymore, right? Old men carry coins. My grandpa, my grandpa had this cane. He passed away a long time ago, but he had this cane, and on the bottom of his cane, he had a magnet, <laughs> and he would pick up real metal coins, you know? He'd, he'd figure out, <laughs> right? Old men love coins, so if we were to really, if we were to just skim this over, we would miss something because the word coin there is the word drachma, which actually is a whole day's wage. A whole day's wage. I don't know how much money you make in a day at your job. I remember when I was a waiter at a restaurant, I would typically make at least $100 a day, sometimes more. 
So if I have $1,000 and I lose $100, I'm looking for the $100, <laughs> right? So, so, so in context, remember? So in reading the parable of the lost coin, we get a sense of how Jesus seeks after us. Uh, so, by the way, sometimes in our culture, we, you hear this. Have you found Jesus? <laughs> have you heard this before? Have you found Jesus? That's such a weird question, as if Jesus is hidden and it is our job to find him. <laughs> I didn't know he was hiding. <laughs> I didn't know I was supposed to be looking for him. Man, he's, a, he's, a, he's good at hiding, man. I, can't, I haven't been able to find him, right? Might I suggest that this is actually a pagan idea? You see, all of the other gods and all of the other religions are hidden. And it is up to you and your journey of enlightenment to find that pathway to God. In other words, salvation is totally dependent on your own works. But in Christianity, follow with me, and in Christianity alone, I, 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 I challenge you to, to, to challenge me on this. Christianity is the only worldview where God seeks out man. It is God that is looking for man. It is man who is lost, not Jesus. It is man who needs to be found. It is Jesus who totally turns over the household who totally flips over every table and every couch cushion looking for you. This is the character of God. See, this is why we need parables. You see that? Because a wrong understanding means, oh man, I haven't worked enough to find Jesus. And it becomes about our works. Do you see how important this parable is? We need the parables of Jesus. Oh man, it's going to be such a good semester. The last parable in Luke 15, we haven't read it yet, is the parable of the prodigal son. This is going to get heavy. Please. In layman's terms, this is the parable of the runaway son. And in this parable, we find that there is no length that we could run to outrun God's love for us. We cannot escape his love for us. I know some of you in this room really need to hear this tonight, so pay attention. Luke 15, starting in verse 11. Let's go deep. A man had two sons. The younger son told his father, I want my share of your estate now before you die. So his father agreed to divide his wealth between his sons. A few days later, this younger son packed all his belongings and moved to a distant land. And there he wasted all of his money in wild living. About the time his money ran out, a great famine swept over the land, and he began to starve. He persuaded a local farmer to hire him, and the man sent him into his fields to feed the pigs. The young man became so hungry that even the pods he was feeding the pigs looked good to him, but no one gave him anything. When he finally came to his senses, he said to himself, At home, even the hired servants have food enough to spare, and here I am, dying of hunger. I will go home to my father and say, Father, I have sinned against both heaven and you, and I am no longer worthy of being called your son. Please take me on as a hired servant. So he returned home to his father, and while he was still a long way off, his father saw him coming. Filled with love and compassion, the father ran to his son, embraced him, kissed him, his son said to him, Father, I've sinned against both heaven and you, and I am no longer worthy of being called your son. 
But his father said to the servants, quick, bring the finest robe in the house and put it on him. Get a ring for his finger and sandals for his feet and kill the calf we have been fattening. We must celebrate with a feast for this son of mine was dead and has now returned to life. He was lost, but now he is found. So the party began. Isn't that an incredible story? I know many of you have hear, heard this story before. Worship leaders have sung about this before. We sang about it tonight, actually. We sang about our homecoming, didn't we? This is such a, de- a perfect depiction of how the father sees us. Here we have a father who gives his inheritance to two sons. And to one of the sons, the runaway son, he gives him his inheritance. But this son, instead of investing it, And being wise with it, he squanders his inheritance and becomes dirt poor. He lives with the pigs, ends up becoming nothing. He took this incredible gift that the father gave him and totally wasted it. And he definitely paid the price for it. And when he comes to his senses, he decides to move back into his father's house. But he doesn't think he'll ever be worthy enough to return as a son. You, you, you caught that, right? He's like, I can't do this anymore. At least my father's servants have food. <laughs> I'm going to return as a servant. I know he'll never accept me as a son, but as long as I can return as a hired hand, maybe I'll at least get some food. So this son feels a sense of unworthiness. My father will never take me You see, he's expecting his father to be angry and vengeful with him because he squandered this gift. But what do we find? Do we find a vengeful, angry father who has a hard time accepting his sinful son back? No. We find a loving father who throws a banquet in honor of his returning son. In what we just read, we find God's love for us. Isn't that incredible? God's love for us. Our God is the only God who loves. He loves us. There is no other God like our God. The idea that God loves us is totally unique in world history. The pagan gods of ancient Egypt, of Mesopotamia, of Greece, of Rome did not love Sure, they were presented as strong and powerful and ruling and sex-driven, but these gods never loved man. These gods were feared. They were revered. They caused the rains. They caused the droughts. They caused sickness, disease, and evil, but they did not love. There is no God like our God. So if you're taking notes, uh, I don't know what notes you've taken at this point, but you can write this down. Good tattoo, by the way. God loves us. (laughs) You're like some deep theological like, nope, pretty simple. (laughs) God loves us. Isn't that incredible? It's mind blowing. He loves us. John 3, John 3, 16, probably the most famous verse in the Bible says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. By the way, it says the world. Imagine that the world means the world, (laughs) not just a few. God loves the world. 
He loves us. He loves us unconditionally. He loves us when we're good. Follow me real quick. He loves us when we're evil. He loves us when we don't love him in return. He loves us when we do love him in return. Guys, this is unheard of. We, we mentioned this the first week we were together when we were still meeting outdoors. But the word the Bible uses to describe God's love for us, put this up there, is the word agape. Agape, right? And agape is this hard word to translate because it's such a unique word, word in world history. This is so hard to find in world history. Most of history we see as selfish love. Or we see a love of liking. Like, we have a lot in common, so I love you, right? How many marriages are not founded on agape love? They're founded on a different kind of love. Yeah, we have a lot in common. What happens if you don't have a lot in common all of a sudden? Oh, man, we used to love going to, to uh, sync concerts, right? Oh, they're, they're apparently coming back, right? I don't know. And then one day you wake up, right, and you like a different kind of music. Does your wife now leave you? It happens. I mean, it happens, George. It does. People will leave their spouses for the stupidest things. Oh, I just don't feel it anymore. As if love is a feeling. Right? As if love is dependent on how I woke up that morning. As if love is based on how attractive you are. Agape love is defined this way, a divine, unconditional, self-sacrificing, active, volitional, and thoughtful love. It is a love of choice, not a feeling. It is a love strengthened by stubborn faithfulness. So as a review, the definition of love we like to use in Chi Alpha, love is unselfishly choosing for the highest good of another. Another way to put that is love is your good at my cost. Love is your good at my cost. God unselfishly chooses for our highest good because he loves us. The Bible declares that he works all things out for the good of those who love him. He self-sacrifices for our highest good. It was his agape love that compelled the father to send his son to die on a cross, the cross that we should have died on, to take our punishment and to fulfill the law on our behalf. It's his love that causes him to have mercy. It's his love that causes to have grace and forgiveness. Mercy in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Grace in that we are only saved and sustained by the grace of God, despite what we've done. Forgiveness in that while Jesus hung on that cross and the guards were mocking him and casting lots for his clothes, Jesus looks up to the sky and says, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Because God loves, we are safe in him. Because God loves us, he is trustworthy. Everybody say trustworthy. He is trustworthy because he loves us. He is faithful. He is true. Not only does God love us, but the Bible says that God is love. 1 John 4, 8 says, He who does not love does not know God, for God is love. I want to make the case that you don't even really know how to love somebody unless you know God. You want to know what God is like? Here you go. God is love. That's right. God loves us. You see, in the parable that we read, the prodigal son or the runaway son, 
it reminds us that there is nothing that we can do to cause God not to love us. As we begin to come to a close, I want to briefly go through four lies. We're going to stomp on the devil's head. Four lies that have infiltrated the church, and these lies are from the pit of hell. And for some reason, people have decided to believe these ridiculous lies. Four lies that the parable of the prodigal son completely dismantles. Are you ready? As I begin to go through these four lies, I want you to pay attention closely. I want you to look at your own life. Take an introspective look and allow God to show you if you believe any of these lies. Don't be quick to say, yeah, buddy, you need to hear this. Instead, point at yourself. Jesus, do I believe this lie? Jesus, do I live as if this lie is true? And I would suspect that there are people here tonight that might believe one or all of these lies. Let us look in Scripture so that the lies of the enemy can be called out and the devil can be under our feet. You guys know there's a real devil, right? There's a real enemy that hates you. There's a real enemy that hates God, that hates his kingdom, and would love nothing more than to make you believe these four lies. But the good news is that we have complete authority over the devil. Let us let the living word of God trample that enemy dead tonight. Amen? All right, four lies. Number one, put this up there. This is lie number one. I have run too far away from God that he could never find me. I have run, the distance I've run is too far that God could never find me. Unfortunately, I know too many people that believe this lie. This person that believes this lie falls into one of two categories. Either they used to have a walk with Jesus but got so enamored by this world and all the world has to offer. This person used to be on fire for Jesus who used to want to see the world saved and was willing to do anything for Jesus. This was because the person who had complete satisfaction and joy in simply being a lover of Jesus got too distracted by the things of this world. Maybe you've been in the church your whole life. Do you remember those youth camps? <laughs> Do you remember those, those youth camp altar calls? Remember that? Those were powerful. By the way, I want to say, don't, th those were not, like, that was a real thing, right? That was a real thing. Remember back to when you first gave your life to Jesus, you were on fire for God, right? If you were a rapper, you wanted to be a rapper for Jesus, right? If you played guitar, you're like, I'm going to play guitar for Jesus, right? You were like, I'm willing to go anywhere, Lord. Send me anywhere, right? You were on fire, but for some reason, you believe that you have run too far to ever come back with any dignity. You're afraid to come back because you will be shamed. Duncan, you have no idea what I've done. I've gone too far for Jesus to ever love me or save me. Do you see how the parable of the runaway son totally destroys this? Do you see how the runaway son totally squandered the gifts that the father had given him and still the father welcomed him home as a son? I'm reminded of the story of the woman at the well. CJ preached on this during the third service we had outdoors. The story is found in John 4 and the cliff notes are simply this. Jesus goes to a well in a town called Sakar and finds a Samaritan woman there and asks her for a drink. And through this interaction, the woman is found to have 
been in adultery for quite, quite some time. She currently didn't have a husband, but she had had five husbands in the past. <laughs> and the guy that she was with currently was not her husband. This woman was an adulterer. How often do we in the church think that because we have committed sexual sin, whether it's being promiscuous or looking at pornography or having lustful thoughts, how often do we assume that God could never take us back? It's silent in here because you're thinking about it, right? But Jesus is in the business of forgiving sins. No matter the sin, no matter the shortcoming, Jesus is in the business of forgiving you. That's the whole point. <laughs> no matter what it is, you can be forgiven. So if you believe that you have run too far from God, that he can never find you, put that lie under your feet, put the devil back in his place because he is a defeated foe. Come on. That's lie number one. We got three more to go. Lie number two. Lie number two, I am too sinful or too dirty to approach Jesus. I am too sinful or too dirty to approach Jesus. This lie is somewhat related to the first lie, but in this lie we find a measure of guilt that in your own mind you could never be forgiven. So often people think they have to be clean in order to even approach Jesus. In other words, I have to stop sinning before I come to Jesus. In other words, I need to get involved in a church before I come to Jesus. Oh, come on. In other words, I need to start reading my Bible before Jesus will ever accept me. I'm too dirty. I'm too sinful for Jesus to have any time for me. Let me tell you, it is the religious mind that tells you that. It is the religious mind that tells you you have to be clean before approaching God. You see, the religious leaders were were, were grumbling because Jesus was hanging out with sinners. You see, it's the religious mind that says you got to get your own house in order before you come back to Jesus. I'm reminded of the story in Luke 7 of the woman who came into the Pharisee's house and anointed Jesus' feet with oil and washed his feet with her tears and her hair. Do you remember this story? It's an incredible story found in Luke 7, and for the sake of time, we're not going to read it. But in this scene, Jesus recognizes a sinful woman, a woman who was probably a prostitute, and yet he turns his back on the religious leader who is quote-unquote clean. We must be reminded of the fact that Jesus does not divide the world into bad and good. This is what other religions do. They take the world, they divide it into two, they put all the good people over here. They put all the bad people over here. And the religious mind always conveniently puts themselves on the good side. <laughs> That's what the religious mind does. Now, you know, Jesus also divides the world into two groups. But it's not who's good and who's bad because the Bible declares all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So what are the two groups that Jesus divides? It's not the good and the bad. It's the proud and the humble. In Luke 7, and you can write that down because I want you to read it for your Devo time. In, in Luke 7, or you can talk about it in small group. It's a good small group topic. But in Luke 7, Jesus is in a religious person's house, a Pharisee. And this person is supposed to be good. And in comes this prostitute. And we don't know who she is. The Bible doesn't say. But she begins to anoint Jesus' feet with oil. 
washes his feet with her tears in her hair. And Jesus physically turns his back on the religious leader and looks at this woman and forgives all of her sins. You see, you can have all the right answers and be a religious person and totally Jesus can totally turn his back on you. Or you can be humble and recognize you have a need for God and Jesus has all the time in the world for you. See, it's not the good and the bad. It's the proud and the humble. Do you think you're too dirty to approach Jesus? That's a lie. If you think you're too dirty to approach Jesus, you're in good company. So did all who were cleaned by Jesus' blood. All who were cleansed had to be dirty first. In order to be saved, you had to be saved from something. If you think you can stand on your own righteousness, Jesus has no time for you. But if you are willing to admit that you need a Savior, Jesus has all the time in the world for you. Did you notice in the parable of the runaway son that the returning son did not have to clean up his life before returning to the father? He came as he was. He had been living with pigs. He probably stunk. He had no money. He totally squandered his father's inheritance. He didn't have to go earn it back for him. He came empty-handed, in need to return. And what did the father do? Oh, you got to go get clean first. Hey, go get my money back first. Didn't say any of that. He said, welcome home. So let us put aside the religious lie that says we are too dirty or sinful to ever approach Jesus. You guys still with me? Okay. It's good stuff, right? Come on. It's good stuff. Yeah. Glory to God. All right. Lie number three. Lie number three. If I return to God, he will be angry with me for running. If I return to God, he will be angry with me for running. Again, did you notice in the parable of the prodigal son that the father was not angry or vengeful when the son returned? And I even think the son expected his father to be angry and vengeful. He didn't even want to return as a son. He said, I want to return just as a servant. At least I'll have some food. Because at least he wouldn't have to live with the pigs. You see, it's a religious mind that says you must pay for your own sins. And if you don't pay for your own sins, Jesus will somehow be angry with you. Oh, I could never return to God. He's going to be so angry with everything I've done. What you have forgotten is that when you are forgiven, you are made clean. Yes, we do see God get angry in Scripture. But this anger is toward the religious mind, not the humble mind. This anger is aimed at the unrepentant, not the repentant heart. The anger that God has is toward the evil in this world, but the good news is that you can be cleaned of your evil. You can be saved from your evil. A selfish, vengeful God would hold your sins against you forever, but a loving, forgiving God would totally clean you. You see, because of Jesus, the veil at the temple that separated God and man was torn At the resurrection of Jesus, there were no barriers between us and God. If we are forgiven of our sins, we can boldly approach the throne of grace because of what Jesus has done. We don't live in shame from our past. Oh, somebody needed to hear that. I know you did. We don't have to live in shame of our past. 
because we have been cleaned. What the parable of the prodigal son teaches is if you return to God, if you are humble enough to admit that you need to return, Jesus will not be angry or spiteful with you. Instead, a party will be thrown. You will be treated as royalty as a son or a daughter. So let us put the devil under our feet and remind him that you can be forgiven. For those that need to return to God, for those that think God will be angry if they return, cast this lie into the pit of hell forever. And here we find ourselves at the last lie. Lie number four. I will never escape my past. Even if God accepts me, I will always be a product of my past decisions. Somebody needed to hear that. Remember, we're looking here first before we look at our, our neighbors, right? I will always be a product of my past. This is a lie that unfortunately has become way too common in the church. The lie that says even though God has accepted you back, you will always be a victim of your past and will never be delivered. You will always be a product of what has happened to you. Now, let me be very careful in unpacking this. I recognize that there are people who have been through very traumatic things. There are people with real hurts from their past. There are people that are still walking out of abuse, out of neglect, and even physical ailments. Those are absolutely legitimate things, and I don't want to minimize this at all. But what I want to address is the fact that when you return to the Father, you become a new creation. You become a new creation. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come, the old is gone, the new is here. You see, being a Christian is not just an intellectual decision. Being a Christian is to become a new creation. Some people think, oh, I can just live the way I've always lived. I just need to decide to be a Christian. <laughs> Oops. <laughs> you don't just decide to be a Christian. <laughs> to be a Christian, you have to die. <laughs> but you are made into a new creation. Your identity is no longer found in your own self-worth. It's not found in anything that you have done or haven't done. Whatever you have done or haven't done gets nailed to the cross, all of it. Even the good stuff you've done. If you've helped little old ladies across the street every day of your life, but before Jesus, that gets nailed to the cross too. Because you have to die to become a Christian. Follow me now. This doesn't mean that everything is made perfect right away. But if you are made into a new creation, and therefore you do not have to be a product of your past. Your slate can be wiped clean. Whatever you've done, whatever you haven't done, your failures, your successes, you get a complete start over. Isn't that great? Isn't that great news? You don't have to be a product of your past. You name it, you can be cleansed from it. You don't have to be defined by that thing you did. Now, you may have to walk some things out, (laughs) You may have to do some apologizing, (laughs) right? But let God work that out in you. You don't have to be a product of your past. I'm going to try to tread lightly in what I'm about to say. Oh, Jesus. (laughs) But it is popular in our culture to be a victim. 
Victim culture has almost become competitive. Social media provides a place where we can out-victim one another. Whoever has the greatest victim wins the prize. And while, we are ac- while there are actual victims of actual wrongdoings and actual medical issues, we do not have to be defined by what has happened to us. We don't have to be known as a victim. Instead, we can be known as a son or a daughter. So please hear me. If you are an actual victim of something, may you find restoration and healing from Jesus himself. You can be healed of that, by the way. We believe in that in Chi Alpha. We believe you can be delivered of things. (laughs) We believe you can be healed. We believe you can be delivered of your past. The prodigal son returned just wanting to be a servant. He had not earned any right to return to the father. He had squandered his inheritance. He was living and eating with the pigs, and he only wanted to return as a servant because he didn't think he deserved to be called his father's son anymore. And the truth is, he did not deserve to be called his father's son. By all rights, he had lost the right to be called a son. But it was the love mercy, and grace that the father had on this runaway son. And he welcomed him home. So let us put this lie under our feet that says you will always be defined by your past. Let us cast this into the pit of hell. You are a new creation. Jesus has made you new. Jesus can deliver you. Jesus can heal you. You, get, you can even have a new name. In heaven, we'll get perfected bodies. I often wonder what that's going to be like. <laughs> I'm going to be flying a lot. <laughs> <right>? <laughs> Do you often have dreams that you're flying? I think those are like prophetic, right? <laughs> so let us read the words of this parable one last time. And look in your heart to see if this is you. So the son returned home to his father. And while he was still a long way off, his father saw him coming. Filled with love and compassion, he ran to his son, embraced him, and kissed him. His son said to him, Father, I've sinned against both heaven and you. I'm no longer worthy of being called your son. But his father said to the servants, Quick! Bring the finest robe in the house and put it on him. Get a ring for his finger and sandals for his feet and kill the calf we've been fattening. We must celebrate with a feast for this son of mine was dead and now has returned to life. He was lost, but now he is found. So the party began. Praise team, you guys come back up. (laughs) Yeah. So in preparing for tonight, I went to go write some closing thoughts, and I want to tell you how much we believe in the intervention of God. I went to go write some closing thoughts, and Jesus said, stop. I said, what? Stop? (laughs) He goes, I don't want you to write any closing thoughts. I said, okay. (laughs) What in the world do you mean by that? He said, I want to lead the closing. I want to lead our closing tonight. That's what Jesus said. 
So I had to be obedient, and I didn't write any closing thoughts. I just put my notes down. But I want us to respond. I want us to respond to the parables that we have read tonight. We read three of them. We read about the lost sheep. The lost sheep is the one who has wandered astray. The one who has gotten distracted by the, by the glitter of this world. The one that their obsession is no longer Jesus, but their obsession are these other things. If you are a sheep that has wandered astray, Jesus is coming after you. Jesus is going to pick you up, put you on his shoulders, and carry you home. And the word says there will be great rejoicing in heaven. Maybe you are a lost coin. A lost coin that, that Jesus overturns the entire house for. And you might think to yourself, well, he's got nine other coins. Why in the world does he need me? Why does he want me? He's got nine other coins. But that's the religious mind. Jesus doesn't have time for me. He doesn't care about me. He's got plenty of followers. There's churches everywhere. There's campus ministries at UNC. He's got no time for me. He turned over the house looking for you. You are worth way more than a penny. <laughs> He's ready to find you because you're lost. Some of you here tonight are runaway sons and daughters. You were once called the son of God. You, will, you were once called the daughter of the king. But you've run away. You've squandered your inheritance. You've squandered it on unholy living. You've squandered it like a son squanders his inheritance. You've, you've wasted it. Maybe this was years ago. I mentioned like those youth group camps, right? Maybe it's been years. But it's not too late. Maybe you're living with the pigs. You're living in mud. You know your life is disgusting. But you're ready to return home. But maybe you're scared. The Father would never accept me. God would never accept me. I've done too much wrong. I've run too far. I've done too much sin. Duncan, you have no idea what I've done. You name it, it can be forgiven. Right? You name the sin, you can be cleaned from it. The blood of Jesus cleanses sin. It doesn't just cover it. It cleanses it. Some of you want to run home, but you're scared of what your father will think. Do we see in the parable what your father's going to think? Is he going to be vengeful? Is he going to be angry? Is he going to be spiteful? Is he going to make you pay for your sins? Is he going to make you earn his money back? Is he going to lecture you for how much you've done? Or is he going to embrace you in tears and say, welcome home? So let's all stand together. So I, I have no idea where you are on life's journey. I have no idea what each of you are seeking for. I truly have no idea in each of your lives who I've known for years. I truly don't. Because you know you can fake it. <laughs> you
you know that you can lead others to Jesus and not be right yourself. So I have no idea, truly, where any of you are. Tonight, I had you look at your own heart. And if God has pointed something out in your own heart, I want you to respond tonight. If I can have Owen and Holiday and Katie Chapman and Peck, if you guys can go to the back and live, can you go to the back too and just make yourselves available for prayer? And maybe I called one of your names and you're like, oh, I need to hear right God. Well, we can just pray together. <laughs> But if you want prayer over that thing that God convicted you about, I want you to find one of these. If you're not comfortable with it, grab the person next to you and say, hey, bro, pray for me. I'm one of those things. I need Jesus. And let's respond to the Father tonight. The Father's welcoming you home. Are you ready? You ready to go home? Let's go home. Father, we love you. We are grateful. We are so grateful that you love us. We're grateful that you've accepted us. Jesus, it is your blood that cleanses us from our sins. It is your grace that forgives us of our sins. We do not boast in any of our own righteousness. We don't boast in our names. We don't boast in our pasts. We boast only in you, Jesus. So Jesus, thank you for your forgiveness. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for the hope that there is in you, oh God. Oh Jesus, we need you. We cannot forgive ourselves unless you forgive us. We don't know how to love unless we know that you love us first. We don't know what that means unless you love us first. So would you help us accept that love? Would you help us to get over ourselves? Would you, would, you, would you deliver us of our religious minds that say we need to clean ourselves first? Jesus, clean us. Jesus, cleanse us. It is by your cross and your resurrection that we are cleaned. So we confess our need for you. We look at the Father. We look at his open arms and we are ready to come home. We're ready to return to the Father. Thank you. Thank you for accepting us. Thank you for not making us pay for our own sins. Thank you for not making us victims of our past. Lord, as if, if there's people here tonight that need to be delivered, that need to be healed, I pray that you would do that tonight. Heal them tonight. May they, may they leave changed. May they leave whole. May they leave different than how they entered this room. Jesus, we love you. We love you. We give you praise. We give you glory. We confess our love for you. Save us, oh God. Save us, oh God. Save us, oh God. In your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen. For more information, please visit xaunc.com or find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash xaunc. Our Instagram handle is at xaunc. And you can find all of our content on our YouTube channel by searching for Chi Alpha UNC. Until next time, may the Lamb who was slain receive the reward of his suffering.